Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Hey everybody, good morning. Good morning. Hey, happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. I was going to um, sing Good Good Father for 30 minutes as my sermon, and I decided against that. That would not be very fun for any of us, to be honest with you. Um, but it's good to see your faces. I've been gone for three weeks. Um, I, was, I was in California for two Sundays for a conference and then to hang out with some family and friends and to enjoy weather like this. It was 65 and cloudy the whole time in LA, which is very frustrating, or it was anyway, and it was 90 degrees here in Vermont. I was like, something's, this is not fair, and this is not just, but it's okay. Everything was fine. And then I came back and I fell ill last week, so I was supposed to be back, and that was also um, kind of a bummer. So I missed you all, <laughs> and it's very good to be here and to see your faces. And before you open up scripture together this morning, I wanted to share briefly with you about my story, who I am, where I come from, what I'm about, um, because I think it's going to help us understand the manner, the way in which I want to open up scripture together this morning. So to start... Um, you didn't know, I grew up on the West Coast, grew up in Washington State. Yeah, shout out to Washington, some of you. <laughs> and um, I did not grow up in church. I didn't have any kind of context for Jesus. I didn't um, read the Bible or anything like that. Um, and I was invited by one of my best friends to go to a youth group when I was 17 years old. And I begrudgingly went. Um, I did not want to go, but I went anyway. And sure enough, couple months later, I was having a conversion experience or giving my life to Jesus or what uh, I would say, saying yes to Jesus for the first time. And I say saying yes to Jesus for the first time because if, if anybody in here has been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that that's not a one-time moment, right? It's kind of an everyday piece of our formation, saying yes to Jesus. So anyway, I said yes to Jesus that first time and, and several more times after that, and I learned about Jesus slowly, but I learned about church very quickly. Um, the youth group leaders that I had at the time, they knew that I liked to sing, and they knew I wasn't that bad at it, so they were like, oh, well, he's a worship leader, so he should lead worship. And I now, looking back, I'm like, you know, I don't think that's exactly how it's supposed to work, uh, but that's what happened, and I was leading worship, and and all that stuff. Um, and then after serving at that church for a few years and working there, I moved to Southern California, which is a long story in itself, but I went to Bible college in um, California, right outside of Los Angeles. And there's two key things that I learned in California that I want to share with you this morning. And the first is something that I've, I've said in front of you all before. And that's, that's this, I learned that the story that Jesus invites us to is much more meaningful, and more wild, and more beautiful, and more incredible than one we could write by ourselves on our own. Amen? So that's the first thing I learned, and I took that with me. And the second lesson I learned in California is this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So of course, that's Jesus speaking in Matthew 9. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And what does that mean to me? In California, Jesus broke my heart for the harvest. 
for the people who are not in this room with us today, who are not even thinking about what we're doing at Church at the Well at Main Street Landing on a Sunday morning. And in fact, they're not thinking about Jesus at all. They don't have any reason to be thinking about him. My heart broke for those who were just like me. Those, those are my people. And so in light of that, I became part of a rather unconventional church plant, or you could call it like a small church experiment, um, where it was just a small community of misfits, of people who I worked with at Starbucks, of people who went to Bible college with me who got kicked out of Bible college for reasons that you get kicked out of Bible college for. You can uh, fill in the blank there. And we met at different tables across Los Angeles with our Bibles and our journals every Sunday morning. And we talked about life, and we prayed together, and we journaled together as an act of worship, and we listened for the voice of Jesus for ourselves and for each other. And that was our liturgy. And in sharing that liturgy with my friends, we brought church to them. We didn't wait for them to come into the doors. Um, we brought church, we brought the liturgy to them. So a year or two into that church experiment, the leader of that asked me if I wanted to take over, and I, as a yes to Jesus, not really for any other reason, but as a yes to Jesus, I fearfully obliged, and I ended up pastoring that community for uh, two years after that. And again, this is an unconventional church, right? So to pastor it meant showing up in unconventional ways. So that meant meeting folks for happy hour a couple times a week and hearing stories over Cajun fries and boneless wings at 10 p.m. Um, I think that's where my acid reflux started and came from, so thank you, Lord, for that. Um, pastoring this community meant sitting with friends and, and, and crying with them in the cars that, that they had just totaled. It meant um, baptizing some of them in the Pacific Ocean and then dropping them in the Pacific Ocean in the process. <laughs> but to, to pastor this community unconventionally, it also meant hosting family dinners around my dining room table every week where folks would learn to practice community before and if they ever said yes to Jesus. So when it came time to respond to the strange and holy urge to move to Burlington, Vermont, something that was brewing inside me for three years, I dreamed that maybe I would get to be a part of setting tables like that here in Vermont for people who have, have no idea what's going on in here on a Sunday morning. And I dreamed of setting tables where people would learn how to hear the voice of Jesus just as I was learning how to hear the voice of Jesus. And so by the grace of God, that's what I've been up to for the past couple of years. And that's what I'm about. So we've had family dinner at my house and at the park for going on three years almost, nearly every single week, even when I'm not there. So shout out to Kayla Miner, who keeps that group afloat. And there's, there's so many of you who um, support us and help us afford to be able to put food on the table for people every week. So thank you for that. We love you. We've seen a different number of folks pass through, folks for a little while and folks for a long time. And we've seen our friends learn to practice the richness, uh, the beauty of community, just as we practice that here uh, at Church at the Well. And so in addition to that, as an extension or almost like an evolution of a family dinner, we've got to host other spaces where a few of our, a smaller group of our friends who might never find their way into church or anywhere, spend time praying together, however clumsy that might be, spend time reading scripture together, spend time working through our life stories, and spend time listening 
for the voice of Jesus and hearing that maybe for the first time. We've had church with our friends all around a big table. I share uh, all of that with you this morning because um, I want to invite you all to that table this morning. And um, obviously there's not enough chairs, and I don't know if they make tables big enough for all of us to sit at. But what I want to do is, is go through a passage of Scripture in the way that we might, uh, might go through it when we're sitting around the table. And here's my hope in doing that. The first thing I, is I, that I hope is I hope you imagine, hope it helps you imagine what it's like for our friends when we sit down and have church with them. And two, I hope that in doing this, you begin to imagine what it might look like for you to set a table for your friends, or your coworkers, or your neighbors, to practice community and to experience an expression of church together. And, and finally, three, as is my hope, anytime I sit down with my friends outside of these four walls, I hope that you hear the loving and patient and kind voice of Jesus speak to you this morning through Scripture. Amen? So we usually um, start our gatherings by talking and sharing stories, much like what I've just done right now. So I've got that part covered for everybody, okay? You're welcome. Um, but the next thing we do is we pray. So if you're comfortable, would you bow your heads? And let me start off by praying for our time. Kind and patient, undistracted Jesus, thank you for my friends here, and thank you for your word. As we open it, and we read it and engage with you in and through your word. Would you speak to us, Lord? Soften our hearts and still our minds that, that we might hear you clearly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So after we pray, I'll share a passage of scripture with the group and we'll read it. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, get those out and turn to the book of Mark. And if you don't have your Bible with you, it's okay. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you can't find where Mark is, it's towards the end of the Bible. If you see Malachi and Matthew, you're almost there. If you see Romans, Revelation, you're too far. Go back a little bit. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, so the big number 3. Mark chapter 3. Before we read the passage, I'm going to share three questions with you. And if you have a journal with you, I would encourage you to get that out. Love journals. And if you feel led to, you can write these questions down. And I find that these questions help me figure out and kind of understand what's going on in the passage, what's going on in me, and what the Spirit might be up to as I'm reading Scripture. Now, also, these questions are helpful for people, um, for some of my friends who don't have any context for the Bible, and it helps them figure out what's going on. So here's those questions. The first one is, uh, what might Jesus be teaching me about himself? And what might Jesus be teaching me about himself? And the second question is, uh, what might God be inviting me to? Through this passage, what might God be inviting me to? And the third question is, what is the good news? What's the good news here in this passage? So as we read, I hope that you will consider these questions with the expectation that Jesus might speak to you and speak to us through the answers, right? And I invite you to follow along in your Bible or on the screen or close your eyes and receive the word in stillness. So Mark chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus returned to the synagogue. 
and a man with a withered hand was there. Wanting to bring charges against Jesus, they were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. He said to the man with the withered hand, step up where, where people can see you. Then he said to them, is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they said nothing. He's talking about the Pharisees here. Looking around at them with anger, deeply grieved at their unyielding or their hardened hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he did, and his hand was made healthy. At that, the Pharisees got together with the supporters of Herod to plan how to destroy or how to kill Jesus. So on in verse 7, Jesus left with his disciples and went to the lake. A large crowd followed him because they had heard what he was doing. Let's skip down to verse 9. Jesus told his disciples to get a small boat ready for him so the crowd wouldn't crush him. He had healed so many people that everyone who was sick pushed forward so that they could touch him. And whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down at his feet and shouted, You are God's son. But he strictly ordered them not to reveal who he was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's talk about what's going on here. Jesus had just finished a run of ministry experiences, right? So he performed a number of healings. He gave a few teachings. He threw out a few demons. He set some people free. Amen. And, you know, the kinds of things that Jesus gets up to in the Gospels. And word is spreading about Jesus, so much so that you can even see in this passage, crowds are starting to gather around Jesus, so much that they threaten to crush him. I don't know if you remember in, in Mark chapter 2, where there's that story where the guys bring their friend um, to the roof. They have to drop their friend through the roof because there's so many people crowded in the house. It's kind of got that energy in this passage, right? But something else is going on, too. The, Jesus had been having interactions with the Pharisees, and at first they're perplexed by Jesus. They're perplexed by the authority with which he spoke, by the power that he possessed to perform miracles, and they're very perplexed at the kind of people that Jesus is gathering around himself, right? And so there's a handful of conflict stories before this one, and this is kind of the climactic moment where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're getting more and more upset with Jesus because he's continuing to disrupt things, right? He's disrupting their thinking, their norms, their way of being, their understanding of the world. And we might read the Pharisees as villains in these stories, and they're certainly not painted as the heroes, but I, I, I kind of understand them. I have to give them some credit because they don't deny that Jesus is capable of healing, and they had seen him do it before. But again, Jesus is, is being disruptive. And as far as they're concerned, Jesus is, is breaking the law. Right In Exodus 31, it says, Everyone who violates the Sabbath will be put to death. Okay, that's, kind of, that's pretty, pretty uh, plain and simple, huh? And Sabbath made exceptions for life or death incidents, but none of the healings that Jesus had done thus far uh, would have fallen into that category, including this one. So with that in mind, and in front of everybody, Jesus, Jesus even says, hey, stand up so everybody can see you. Huh? <laughs> Jesus restores this man's hand without even touching him, which would have been a tremendous gift to the man. But Jesus, in healing this man on the Sabbath, in front of everyone, turns this moment into a life or death moment life for the afflicted man, 
and death for Jesus. Because immediately after he heals this man, man, the Pharisees conspire with others about how they're going to kill him. And I remember when I first read this passage, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I, I thought to myself, you know what, I kind of like Jesus more after reading that passage. Has that ever happened to you where you're like, huh, you know that Jesus, he's, he's, he's not bad. I like him. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, we say, oh, I love Jesus, but, but oh, I like him more. I think it's like his audacity or his boldness or his gumption, something about that that I like. But I also remember thinking, and I still kind of wonder, like, Jesus, could you not have just waited till tomorrow to, to heal this man? You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys could have had, had lunch, had dinner, hung out, shared stories, and then tomorrow you can do the healing when it's not going to be such a big deal, right? Moving on, Jesus and his disciples are being followed by a large crowd, uh, they, the crowd had heard what Jesus was capable of, and they were probably interested in getting some of that for themselves. So Jesus and his disciples, they jump into boats to try to get away from the crowd. And I love the way that Mark, the author, here creates this claustrophobic kind of energy here, the, the great needs of the crowd pressing in on Jesus. And this emphasizes a, a sense of urgency here in the scripture, but it also foreshadows this, this ultimate crushing, right? The ultimate pressing of Jesus on the cross by the crowd. And then reading on, there's this odd note about the evil spirits crying out, you're the son of God, and Jesus orders them to be quiet. So let me jump back to the questions I asked earlier. It's that first one. What might Jesus be teaching us about himself? What might Jesus be teaching me about himself? Well, for me, I learn that Jesus cares a great deal about restoration. In fact, it's a matter of life or death to Jesus. And how do we know that? Well, this healing story is an act of bringing kingdom restoration to earth, not just to this man's physical state, but, but his being, restoring him to community. And this story also sets off the chain of events that leads Jesus to the cross. This, this moment of healing accelerates the passion narrative which is the ultimate restoration story. And this, this passage also makes me wonder, what if my restoration is a matter of such importance to Jesus? And what if, what if yours is as well? What if our restoration matters that much to Jesus? And Jesus is also teaching me through this passage that he is moved to grief over hearts that are hardened by a life that revolves around rules and rituals only. Uh, William Lane, a New Testament theologian, puts it like this. He says, In the name of piety, the Pharisees had become insensitive to both the purposes of God and to the sufferings of men. Jesus' anger was tempered by a godly sorrow for men who could no longer rejoice in the tokens of God's goodness to men. So in light of what Jesus might be teaching us about himself, let's move on to that next question that I asked earlier. What might God be inviting me to? What might God be inviting me to? Is God inviting me, inviting us to a story in which knowing the rules and following the rituals of faith are the 
beginning and the end of our spiritual journey, that, that to participate in the kingdom work and kingdom life of Jesus, all I have to do is, is follow the rules and do the right things, and I bring Jesus my completed checklist with my great deeds, and, and he's content with just that. Is that the kind of story I'm being invited to? Well, the Pharisees knew the rules and followed the rituals better than anybody, and they had a pretty good checklist to bring to the Lord, I think, as far as they were concerned. So I don't think that's a bad thing, but is that the end of the invitation? Probably not. Is God inviting me, is God inviting us to a story that requires me just to acknowledge that God can do great things, a story where I'm, I'm just mostly after, I'm trying to get the good things that Jesus can bring, and if I'm lucky enough to be at arm's distance from him, something good might happen to me, and that's it. Is that the kind of story I'm being invited to? Well, the crowd knew what Jesus could do, and they gathered around him, right, because they heard his works, they heard what he could do, but who's to say that they were practicing and following the way of Jesus? I'm not sure if that's the invitation for us either in this passage to be a people that says, oh yes, that Jesus, he's a good egg, that Jesus. Love his work. Love his work, huh? I don't think that's the end for us, right? Is God inviting us to a story that even professes to know who God is, but, but I don't really want or need a seat at the table because that would cost me too much. Right? That would change the orientation and the direction of my life, and that costs too much. It's just enough to know he's out there. Is that the kind of story that we're being invited to through this passage? Uh, well, the, the evil spirits, they get a shout-out here because they knew who Jesus was. But is that the end? Just to know that he's out there somewhere and that he's powerful? I can't help but wonder, friends, if we're invited to more all right, to a deeper kind of story this morning through this passage. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat. I'm going to read on here a little bit to the next couple of verses in Mark 3 because I think an invitation to us becomes pretty clear there. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 and called them apostles, he appointed them to be with him, to be sent out, to preach, and to have authority to throw out demons. Okay. So Jesus withdraws with his disciples. And before Jesus goes about changing any names or doing anything like that, he appoints his disciples to do a couple things, right? To be sent out, to go, to preach to throw out demons. But what, what's the first appointment before any of that? It's, it, it's to be with him. To be with Jesus. And I want to suggest to us this morning that perhaps the greatest invitation of all and what God might be inviting me, inviting us to through this passage and throughout all of Scripture is just that, to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. So the third question we have from earlier is, what is the good news? What's the good? That's the good news. That we are invited to be 
with Jesus. It's good news that Jesus, before the disciples are appointed to do anything for Jesus, they're appointed to be with Jesus. And maybe that means that before I can do anything good for Jesus, I'm just invited to be with Jesus. Amen? It's good news that Jesus, after disrupting the expectations of crowds and religious leaders and evil spirits, he still makes time to disrupt the lives of each of his individual disciples by giving them new titles, some of them a new name, and all of them a new story. And I think Jesus is still doing that today, and that's good news, amen? I think it's good news that that Jesus, after signing a death wish to disrupt heaven and earth, he starts and he keeps going towards the cross, knowing that people were going to completely miss the point along the way. That's good news. And it's good news that Jesus, on a mountaintop with his friends, invites those friends to be with him, even though those friends would soon disappoint and betray him. That's good news. It's good news that Jesus, after all of that, after the crushing of the crowd and the pain of rejection and the sting of death, Jesus appears to his friends in resurrected form and sits down and has breakfast with them. Why is that good news? Because not only were they invited to be with Jesus, but Jesus was actually interested in being with them as well. And I think that's good news, amen? But can I confess something before you this morning? Sometimes that invitation, sometimes it does not feel like good news. Does that ever happen to anyone else where you hear good news and you're like, ah, I think I know that's supposed to be good, but I have a pit in my stomach still, huh? Anybody? Why does this not feel like good news sometimes? Because, well, I'm, I'm like the Pharisees, huh? Sometimes I prefer the security of rules and rituals because I can bring Jesus something. I can bring him like a completed checklist of, of all the things that I have done that say, Jesus, I'm still on your team, instead of bringing him a broken and weary heart. And sometimes I would prefer to spare myself the disruption that Jesus brings when he says, hey, I, I see that you've been with your journal. I notice that you've been with your Bible, but have you been with me? Am I talking to anybody? Does that make sense? This also sometimes doesn't feel like good news because I'm like the crowd, and I don't know if anybody else in here is like that, but sometimes I prefer to experience what Jesus can do and what he's capable of rather than actually being with him. Okay, I would prefer to see the good he can bring to my life without losing my life. I want to experience resurrection without death. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And <laughs> I'm not going to say that I'm like an evil spirit. I wrote that in my notes. Do not say I'm like the evil spirits. But they get a shout out here, I think, because I get it. Sometimes I would prefer to know God in like this ethereal sense because uh, maybe just recognizing that he's out there is enough and that I'm spared from any change or direction of orientation in my life and I'm spared from having to confess, Lord, your ways are higher and your thoughts are higher and your story is better, your way is better. Does that make sense? <laughs> maybe it's just me. But I have to say that the way of Jesus is slow 
and intentional and vulnerable. And the way of Jordan is busy and scattered and guarded. But somehow, somehow, the invitation to the way of Jesus, and even the invitation and even the appointment to be with Jesus, it remains. And Jesus invites us, and he welcomes us, even with our insecurity and our doubt and our skepticism and our legalism, our busyness, our righteousness, our unrighteousness, our faithfulness, our unfaithfulness, our fear. Somehow we have a seat at the table still through all of that. And as we are with Jesus, as we say yes to that invitation, we submit ourselves to knowing and experiencing more of his kindness, his enduring patience, and his righteousness, and his goodness. And there, we get to watch Jesus do something miraculous with all this, right? We get to watch and be a part of Jesus doing something miraculous in our stories. So as we wrap up around the table, I would probably have everybody take a deep breath together at this point. So if you would humor me, why don't we just take a deep breath in, breathing in the kindness of God. Hmm. And then we end our time around the table together in prayer. But before I pray, I'm going to invite Sam and Angie up. And while they're playing, I'm going to leave us with one more question. So I'm going to leave us with one more question and, and I hope that um, it's a question that you would consider maybe by journaling, maybe by standing there in stillness, maybe through song, maybe through prayer. But I wonder if you would uh, consider this question in the presence of a patient and understanding Jesus for the next couple of minutes, okay? The, the question I, I'm going to leave you with is, is, what do you make of the invitation to be with Jesus? What do you make of that? What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? What do you make of the invitation to be with Jesus? Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, this morning we marvel at your work and we marvel at this invitation to be with you. And Lord, we behold you from a number of different places in our souls. Some of us are not sure what to make of being with you because we're not even too sure about you, Jesus. Some of us are, are nervous or we're skeptical to be with you this morning, Lord, and we confess that. And Jesus, some of us have been with you and we just simply delight in that invitation and we say thank you. Lord, from wherever our soul happens to be this morning, would you be honored and blessed by our showing up here this morning? And would you do something with that showing up? Would you do something with us this morning? Have your way. Lord, search us and know us. And we thank you, Lord, for your endless patience towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's sing together. 
You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.